I added one more podcast to the giant podcast bin. Now you have plucked that podcast out and started listening. I took my microphone and found some human folk. Then I recorded all the noises while we spoke. My name is Adam Buxton. I'm a man. I want you to enjoy this. That's the plan. How are you doing, listeners? Adam Buxton here. Welcome to Podcast 63B. It's a special bonus episode. Why is it a bonus, Buckles? What makes it a bonus? Well, it's only short, I suppose. Considerably shorter than the average episode, so I called it a bonus. But of course, it's actually just a special gift of love from me to you. You're welcome. It features some not very serious conversation with friend of the podcast, Johnny Greenwood. I say friend of the podcast because he has appeared before. Episodes 22 and 22B feature a longer conversation with Johnny, recorded a couple of years ago in France uh, before Radiohead played a show there. And of course, Johnny's status as a member of the band Radiohead is now jockeying for position with his work as a composer of film music. Amongst other features and TV shows, Johnny has provided original music for two films directed by Lynn Ramsey, her 2011 adaptation of We Need to Talk About Kevin, and the soon-to-be-released You Were Never Really Here, a thriller starring Joaquin Phoenix, apparently. Looks quite good. But Johnny's most regular cinematic collaborator thus far is Paul Thomas Anderson, for whom Johnny scored 2007's There Will Be Blood, 2012's The Master, 2014... Some people don't like it when I miss out the and in dates. They feel that it's a vulgar Americanism. 2014's Inherent Vice, and this year his score for Phantom Thread has been nominated for an Academy Oscar Award. Conclusive proof that it is good. Now, last week in London at the Royal Festival Hall, I was lucky enough to attend a screening of Phantom Thread with Johnny's soundtrack being played live for the very first time, I believe, by the London Contemporary Orchestra. It was beautiful and moving, and every time the main piano theme, which, as you will hear, is called House of Woodcock, started up I felt very emotional and sort of overwhelmed by the loveliness. I I considered crying a couple of times in my seat there was a pain in my throat and I had to struggle to stop the water leaking from my eyes. Now although Johnny didn't actually play with the orchestra last week he was hanging around the Royal Festival Hall throughout the day sitting in on rehearsals and then he appeared on stage before the movie started with Paul Thomas Anderson to have a brief chat with uh, the film critic Mark Commode. That was good. But I was able to steal a few minutes of Johnny's time before the show began, and we talked briefly about how the Phantom Thread score came together. We talked about Oscar speeches, or I pitched a few Oscar speeches and Johnny uh, gave his responses. And we talked briefly about a favourite band of mine and Johnny's, The Fall, 
whose lead singer, Marky Smith, died a few weeks ago now. Now, I've had Johnny's Phantom Thread score going round and round my head ever since I first saw the film at a screening just before Christmas. And I, I guess I had this vague fantasy that if I was able to do a bit more podcasting with Johnny, I'd ask him to talk me through how he'd written some of it, what the actual process of coming up with that kind of music is. A little bit like an episode of classic albums, you know, with the old guys sat in front of the giant mixing desks, pushing buttons, isolating tracks, and saying, oh yeah, I forgot we had some uh, marimbas on there that uh, ended up very, very low in the mix. Anyway, you'll hear how that fantasy went down with Johnny very shortly. And I'll be back at the end for a little bit more toasty waffles. Here we go. always promised myself that if I ever find myself sat in front of a mixing desk yeah. as a backdrop to talking about something I did years ago then it's got to be the old bullet in the head hasn't it at that point <laughs> it's terrible why don't you watch oh, those shows oh, no can't. no but can't you appreciate the thrill that someone like a Steely Dan fan gets from seeing Donald Fagan pulling the faders down and listening to how those harmonies were woven um, there's Michael McDonald <laughs> Listen how high he's singing. Yes, I mean, I suppose so, but it's just, you're not meant to see this stuff, are you? It's not what you want given out, so. Is that band policy as well? Is that Radiohead policy? Will you never do that kind of documentary? We would never do. I'd be amazed. We talk about doing, um, we loved the Genesis one that came out because they all are very friendly and optimistic and cheerful and getting on with each other. And one of them is is a bit chippy and annoyed. (laughs) So we often talk about doing um, a documentary where we're pretending to be really angry and bitter with each other. Don't do... That's worse than the other option. Yes. It's it's something that's nice to talk about, but never do, I think. I don't like it when people do that. It's like, either do it or don't do it. Don't do a parody of it. Yes. No, that's beyond us anyway, isn't it? But yeah, I don't... I can't see us. It's like David Byrne did that after Stop Making Sense. Did you ever see that footage of him? He's dressed in the big suit... And they did a split screen thing. Right. I suppose Jonathan Demi must have set it up. Yeah. And it's him interviewing himself. So he's in drag on one side of the split screen. Right. Playing a kind of caricature of a interviewer, reporter. And then he's on the other side in his big square suit. Yeah. Kind of answering everything like a robot. Yeah. And so she's saying, why the big suit? It's, why did you make that decision? Well, the big suit is about kabuki. Also, I like the idea that it made my head real small. And so he's he can't bear to actually just do a straightforward job of answering these yeah. questions. And he is kind of answering them, but it's neither fish nor fowl. Having said all that, I saw it again the other day and it was quite good. 
So I've just undone everything I'd said. I mean, interviews are fine. It's more the sort of the form of the documentary. Yeah. The kind of archive footage cut with sort of talking heads describing, I don't know, makes my skin crawl. I don't know. Makes your skin crawl? How do you feel about like an Adam and Joe documentary? I'd love it. It would be great. (laughs) No, of course. You're right. When it comes down to it, it's not something you necessarily want to do. But I do enjoy watching other people's ones. And we had that problem when we when we released a DVD, an Adam and Joe DVD. One of the most exciting things about it for me was that we were going to do DVD commentaries. Hooray! Yeah. Look, we've got a DVD. We're so important. We're going to talk about all the things we did and thought right. and where all these great jokes came from. So we sat down and did uh, commentaries for pretty much anything on the disc. There was four compilations representing yeah. each series. We never used it because it was dog shit. Why? For all the reasons that we're outlining here, it was just joyless, pointless, boring. Right. I think we could have done it a different way, but to us, there didn't seem to be a good way of doing it. Well, then a lot of the process of making records and TV shows is joyless and pointless and boring, and you don't want to really revisit it. You've got the kind of the end product that really worked. Yeah, I'm coming round to that. that. So can you set the scene for us a little bit, uh, Johnny? Yes, Adam. We're in my sleazy dressing room, backstage of the Royal Festival Hall, in the afternoon, in time for the rehearsal for a live performance of the score of Paul Thomas Anderson's latest film, this sentence is very long, called Phantom Thread. Good scene setting. Thank you. You've done this kind of thing before. I came and saw you play the score for There Will Be Blood here. Yes. Yep, it's become a pattern. In fact, when we started this whole process of writing music for the film, I was trying to push the idea that we write it in order to be performed a lot. So I wanted to do it with just six or seven players and make it all playable and send out the scores to cinemas and say, get some local players to come and play it live and it'd be a really, you know, regular thing. But it's just, I really love the idea of the film arriving and then a book of music arriving and these are the two things you put together and make it quite easy and... but. Paul just kept asking for bigger and bigger string section sounds mm-hmm. for the romance, the big lush thing. And that's not going to fit in the, yeah. the Phoenix, is it? We, we went around like little cinemas thinking you can get seven or eight people in here and a piano would be, be a really nice thing to do. Yeah. I read a story about you and Paul chatting about Bo Brummel. That's right. And in the interview that I read, that was presented as being maybe part of the inspiration for the whole project. Well... I think he was trying on some shirts. We were hanging out together. We've got, you know, this sort of slightly nauseating bromance going on. And we went clothes shopping, as you do, mm-hmm. with a close friend. And he was taking ages. And I accused him of, of being Beau Brummel. He was like a 19th century dandy. He okay. was like, he was like the first, supposedly the first sort of gentleman to take an interest in his own appearance. He used to get dressed in front of an audience every morning and get everything just so and if his tie wasn't quite right he'd take it off and start again not that they wore ties but anyway you get the point and people would come and watch him even bathing and he had a set of rules that he would have to follow every time he prepared his um, morning toilet yeah but it was, it was interesting his clothes were very understated as well it wasn't like it was a big you know um, peacocking thing it was it was all quite precise and yeah that's interesting a lot of cargo pants <laughs> some Carhartt gear yeah <laughs> <laughs> yes, but then Paul does this, I think. He just sort of takes all these 
scraps and knows all this stuff anyway really and then he starts to build scenes and then some of them end up in films eventually Mm -hmm. and that was just one of them I think thinking of Daniel Day-Lewis dressing carefully and and that ends up in the film as a small scene and what were Paul's directions to you as far as what kind of music you might come up with well he basically likes to take the piss out of me and was joking about how unromantic Radiohead is and said come on you must have some romance in you and give me more strings, give me more, you know. And he wanted the music to be really English and really romantic and be written by me, which feels like a kind of big three-way contradiction now I've said that. But, um, but there is a lot of romance in Radiohead's music. We sort of talked about this before last time right. you and I spoke on the podcast. There's lots of romance, but it's, it's of a certain kind. It's not a, a straightforward 50s cinema version of romance it's not uh cozy. yeah that's true I mean, and, I, and so this time that's what he wanted though he wanted the cozier version yeah he was just after real felt emotion real genuine you know without all being wretched and ironic and self-effacing kind of uh-huh. you know, just to be self-loathing yeah and just actually it's it's all felt it's all sincere it's not you know and there's nothing tongue-in-cheek about it. And that was really, really nice, really interesting. To, so hopeful to, romance, not doomed romance. Yeah, partly. And then some other music for Dana De Luz's character that's a bit more um, austere and ascetic and stuff. Mm-hmm. And now you've been nominated for an Oscar Prize. Now I've been nominated for an Oscar Prize. Good job. People are very happy for me. It's you've very, it's made really, it. It's very, it's, it's, it's I weird. think this is going to open a lot of doors for you. <laughs> You're going to... Great. Who knows what Transformers might 6. happen now. It might be Transformers 6. <laughs> Are you going to go to the Oscars? I don't know. I, I don't know. I started thinking that... What does your wife think? She thinks it's quite ridiculous. But then I realised I was quite pleased with myself at the idea of not going. Uh-huh. And I think it's always good to resist that kind of urge, that sort of smug, you know. Yeah, I'm not going to say, yeah. I think you're party. Yeah, and no, that's... So maybe do the opposite yeah. to that impulse and then and at just the very really, last minute do the opposite to that and then stop overthinking it then start exactly. overthinking it again everyone overthinks it though don't they they must do well, like i said paul no one wants to see a sweaty version of me <laughs> shambling around <laughs> looking embarrassed and he said of course they do it'll be hilarious yeah they love it so amusing paul i think is the main goal whatever you know right okay. entertains him is he gonna go yeah i think so he's yeah. really it's, it's he like, lives in hollywood that would be very perverse <coughs> for him not to go it's you easy can't. Yeah. yeah, and it's he's got so many nominations for this film, and I'm really excited for him. I mean, he did everything. It's got, when you get to the end of the film, and it says written and produced by one person and directed by just. I think yeah, that's always think, an amazing well, sign. Hello, someone's up themselves. Yeah, and he even filmed it as well. So yeah. that's you know, it's all about him. Should be recognised. <laughs> him, him, him. Right up himself. If you win, though, I'm just saying. Yes. Yeah, I'm here for you, speech-wise. Perfect. And I've got a few options. Option one, okay, short and sweet. You know, I'd like to thank God, my family, <laughs> Adam Buxton. This is amazing. Thanks. That kind of thing. <laughs> Option two, long and sweet, yep. but quite self-indulgent. Okay. When I was five, I saw a toy keyboard in a shop. Right. And it was my dream ever <laughs> since then. Blah, blah, blah. You go on for 10 minutes. They start playing the music. The yeah. host comes over, puts his arm around you and tries to... Still talking. <laughs> tries <laughs> to get you off stage. Option three. Yeah. Use the speech as a platform to rant about your favourite political cause. Good idea. That would be good. Yeah. So why does it take 
BT so long to sort out my broadband issues. I'm a business You've customer. You've got to let that go. You're still... <laughs> Adam, really. Option four for your Oscar speech. Right. Incredibly bitter. I like that good, yeah. And you just... Blaming everyone. You blame... No you, one to thank, but a few people I want to bring down. You were the only person that, yeah. that created your luck. That teacher at school yeah. who told you to keep Never practicing. Be yeah. Fuck you, Mr. <laughs> Mr. Hopkins Smithberg. Try sticking this Oscar up your bum. Practice doing that. All right? I think it'll go straight up as well, I'm thinking. I don't know. I'm thinking of just pointing at myself, widening my eyes and nodding slowly. Mm-hmm. I think that could work. That's good. Not talking, just... This guy. Kind of a, <laughs> look at this guy. And then you could do a sort of mic drop with the Oscar. Yeah. Just drop the Oscar. Could do that. So. Come on. Kanye would do that. Yeah. He'd get into trouble. But it always works out for Kanye. I think I might just shuffle on, stutter my way through half a sentence and, and leave. Yeah, that's a good idea. What do you think? I like that. Yeah. That's classic Johnny. Worked for me. Do you think, I just, this just occurred to me, is Kanye West the Donald Trump of hip-hop? I.e., he can more or less fuck up as many times as he wants. Yes. And he just carries on. I, d- I don't know. It's not my... My, my ears I wouldn't go like, in that direction. Like that. I wouldn't like to weigh in. Would you have liked to have been in the 70s when rock stars just said whatever they wanted? And it never really seemed to do them any harm. Apart from John Lennon saying that the Beatles were bigger than Jesus. But that was just a bump. They, it didn't stop yeah. him or other members of the Beatles just saying crazy stuff that no one would ever say these days later on in the 70s. I think everyone's just very nice and professional nowadays, unfortunately. I think the days are gone when you'd have badly behaved people and actual divas and actual I don't it doesn't seem to happen anymore everyone's just got half an eye on their PR and they know how to everyone's just quite well behaved and I now think. Marky Smith's dead and now Marky Smith I know that's that crazy talk about and he was really one of that generation that didn't give didn't a care. shit exactly genuinely yeah. didn't give a fuck yeah. and if you have the urge you can find lots of outrageous unpalatable things that he's said and done for sure over the years I remember um, John Peel often having to sort of say you know amazing music I wish he didn't say some of the things he says yeah that's right but his voice was just was completely the voice of my teenage years yeah. more than any other singer or easily it's like when I think of myself my bedroom it's Marky Smith talking ranting through something completely what were the records you were listening to Ben Sinister Curious Orange I mean, the first gig I went to was was seeing them and the Curious Orange tour, Brixie Smith, that kind of era. It was amazing. It kind of blew my mind. It was... I remember when you talked about... Um, you know when you got that Pixies record? I know a bit too much about your life just from listening to podcasts. So but anyway, um, when you got that first Pixies record and you took it back because mm. it blew your mind a bit, I had the same thing with seeing The Full Live where I saw half the concert and I'd never seen a gig before. It's the first time. And I, I couldn't take it. It was just too... I remember walking outside Oxford Polytechnic and standing outside, I could still hear the music and the songs, just thinking, I just, it was like I just couldn't, couldn't wrap my head around what it was. I wasn't bored and I wasn't frightened. It was just, just knocked me over. It was one of those things and ended up getting me really addicted to what he was doing. Yeah, weird. Weird how that first time you encounter something you later really love can be nearly off-putting can be just you know tough to take yeah exactly yeah, realigning your yourself and yeah and stepping through the doorway but he was funny as well I he think... was really funny that's the thing i always i mean he always you right. know he was on our show on the adam and joe show right and i was very nervous about it 
going and doing vinyl justice where we would dress up as policemen and go through people's record collections. And he didn't want to do it in Manchester. Right. He wanted to do it when he was next in London, which suited us. So I had to pretend that my flat where I was living in East London was his. And he brought along a carry bag full of records and we stuffed them in with mine. And we'd been told by his record company rep guy who came along with him that we should buy a bottle of vodka and that would be good so that's what we did and he polished it off actually both of them did the the record company guy got pretty wasted as well sat in the corner in his black suit but mark smith um smoked a lot of ciggies drank most of the vodka and was good fun quite you know as you would think quite cantankerous yeah quite physical pushed sure. us around bashed us around yeah. in a in a slightly theatrical way but it was a bit edgy it was a bit it was all a bit rougher than yeah. you, you would hope <laughs> it was it was so stressful and then he went <laughs> he went over and and sat on joe like joe kind of folded over on the sofa and mark sort of positioned himself sat on top of him as if he was sitting on a throne yeah and then put a plastic bag the plastic bag that he brought his records in put that over joe's head and then just started hitting it like quite slowly and pathetically but insistently just hitting it and smoking his ciggy and then sort of brandishing his ciggy like i look at me i'm sat on a public schoolboy throne and i'm hitting it it was good and then he stopped talking i think maybe he just thought huh what am i doing here i'm not really into this this is stupid then he goes, how much are we being paid? <laughs> like, well, we don't, we hadn't arranged a fee. We don't usually pay people for these things. I don't know. I mean, how much do you want? £200. It's very specific. So I just ran out and across the square with my cash point card and got 200 quid out and ran back in my policeman uniform. <laughs> well, handed him the uh, cash. Yeah. And then he seemed a little uh, chastened. Like he was a bit embarrassed that he'd actually asked us to go and get him some cash. <laughs> and then he was really nice and he sort of softened and mellowed. He's a funny man, really funny. Yeah, strange guy. What do you think about Dr. Buck's letter? Dr. Buck's letter? Being such a funny song and also really bleak and like must be, you know, sort of... Anyway, anyway, it's really interesting, very interesting man. Yeah, and someone who you couldn't even begin to deal with how politically incorrect he was. It's like, yeah. where do you start? Yeah. So people didn't really bother. He was such an outlier in that way. People, it was, it was impossible to know what's it like. He was someone who was totally unapologetic. Yeah. Uh, abuser of alcohol and uh, <laughs> all these things you're not supposed to do. You're supposed to be ashamed of all these subjects. You're supposed to tiptoe around, not weigh in on. And yeah, he just, he just didn't give a shit. <laughs> Do you know Extricate, that record? Yeah. It's really good. Bill is Dead, really amazing music. Used to play that over and over again when we were first on our first few tours. Extricate? Yeah, I was obsessed with that. Yeah, it's really good. What is on yeah. that one? Birmingham Book School of Business School starts. Is that Extricate? I think so. Or is that Code Selfish? That's Code Selfish. That Code Selfish. Which I really love. That's yeah. the one that got me into them. That's amazing. And that's got free range on it as well. Amazing. Wow, well, yeah. That's right, because I went to the when we did when we recorded Pablo Honey. I went. The engineer was really impressed with me. I think, because uh, he thought I was, you know, finally a well-taught musician. Kind of was, it was how he was treated because the way I was, you know, nerdly talking about recorders or whatever. And then 
one morning I came in with my extra Kate t-shirt on and he said we've had the full recorded here and he wouldn't talk to me after that because he said Marky e. Smith was just he was writing lyrics down on the back of a fag packet they're not they're nothing they're not a real band and I was like no they're, they're, that's the that's that's the real they're band the real, real band. music yeah completely so wow yeah wore that t-shirt to pieces anyway the full the full the tea is going out the interruption is staying right here with me the first thing is called see I didn't know the working title Oh, the first big romantic thing is called House of Woodcock. Aha. It was called Riddle because I got this great book about arranging by um, Nelson Riddle, kind of explaining about how to get certain textures and sounds. Did you like him already or was that because Paul was talking about him? Yeah, I mean, amazing arranger. um, And just great. Just really exciting to have all this stuff coming from, you know, coming off paper. Yeah. Pen and paper, it's really... Still, I find it really amazing that it can turn into these sounds. So that was that's why Nelson Riddle was a big thing, and that's why that used to be called Riddle. And that's called House of Woodcock. You know, we play wrong notes and everything. That's okay. Where's best to stick these mics? Do you think? Uh, anywhere. Anywhere. This is an advert for Squarespace. Every time I visit your website, I see success. Yes, success. The way that you look at the world makes the world want to say yes. It looks very professional. I love browsing your videos and pics, and I don't want to stop. And I'd like to access your members area. And spend in your shop. These are the kinds of comments people will say about your website if you build it with Squarespace. Just visit squarespace.com slash Buxton for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, because you will want to launch, use the offer code Buxton to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. So put the smile of success on your face with Squarespace.
continue. Officer, please, man. Hey, welcome back, podcasts. Johnny Greenwood there, playing you a short blast from his score from the Phantom Thread on the upright piano in his dressing room at the Royal Festival Hall. And uh, I wish, obviously, that he played a lot more, but he had a rehearsal to get to, and I think he probably found it slightly embarrassing, as it was just me and him in the small dressing room. And for him to sit down and start playing in front of just one other person, who he knows is a bit of a super nerd fan, must be quite weird. But I made it clear to him that if he ever wants me to do the voice of uh, Messi Monster from Messi Goes to Okido, the kids' TV show that I voice, either for his children or for him, I will be more than happy to oblige. So I think it's a fair deal. Before I forget, I'm going to say thanks very much to Seamus Murphy-Mitchell for his production support. Thanks to Erica Frauman for sorting out tickets to the Royal Festival Hall. And uh, thanks most especially to Johnny for making time for me and uh, humouring my stupid bullshit. I'm out here on my regular walk out in Norfolk and it is now getting dark It's quarter to six in the evening, and it's cold. At least it's getting lighter, though. Every day there's a little bit more daylight, and before you know it, it'll be spring. Hooray! Boy, it's really cold. I mean, the weather's been harsh the last few months, and once or twice there's been quite spectacular storms up here. We never really got hit too much with the snow, which I know a lot of people in the country did. We had a lot of rain, quite extreme wind, which we do have from time to time. But the last big storm we had ended up blowing a lot of trees over. And in fact, look where I am. I'm stood right next to an old friend of mine, who I'm glad to say was amongst the survivors of that last storm. It's the wise old tree. How are you, wise old tree? Yeah, not that good. Right. Well, I'm sure it was pretty unpleasant being buffeted by those storms a few weeks back. Yeah, it was quite a big one. Now I'm just standing here surrounded by the twisted corpses of my friends. And every now and again, a bloke with a chainsaw turns up and chops them into pieces. It's like I'm in a cross between Saving Private Ryan and Texas Chainsaw Massacre because of all the chainsaws and the corpses. Yes. Still, I suppose it's some consolation that their lives go on in some way. How's that? Well, I mean, the wood won't go to waste, will it? It'll keep someone nice and cosy by the fire or, I don't know, make a lovely chair or a chopping board. Are you fucking joking? So it'd be all right if I say, oh, yeah, you know your recently deceased relative, you should cheer someone up by burning their corpse in front of them. Or why not use their skull as a fucking sweetie jar? You could rig up a little speaker so every time someone opens it, the jaw moves and it says, step away from the sweetie jar. Is that what you mean? Well, no, I mean, I do think there's a difference between trees and people. Oh, right. You're one of those, are you? Very nice. No, look, I'm sorry if I'm being insensitive. Oh, I can tell. Apart from that, though, I mean, how's everything? Yeah, not bad. A couple of squirrels moved in the other day. Seemed quite nice. One of them shagged a bird. But, you know, live and let live. That's what I say, as long as the bird's okay with it. Okay. Uh, Listen, I'm going to walk away now because I think Rosie is getting cold. So, uh, 
Take care of yourself, wise old tree. I'll think about it. All right. Rosie, Rosie, come on, let's head back. It's freezing. My hand's going to drop off. I'm Yuri Andropov. Take care, listeners. Till next time. I love you. Bye!